1: Welcome to Queerly Beloved, a podcast from Broadly about the families we choose. I'm Sarah Burke,
0: and I'm Fran Torado.
2: So, Sarah, for this episode, you talk to someone named Kelly. Who is Kelly?
1: Kelly is this amazing comedian, Butch Dyke, who fell madly in love with this dom, plus-size burlesque performer, kinky poly switch named Heather.
2: So it's basically like a queer rom-com. Like, that is a meet cue in a queer rom-com, pretty much. Yeah, basically. (laughs) But
1: also, there's a turn. After about only a year together, Kelly loses Heather to cancer. But Kelly's story is really not entirely about loss. It's actually about how, without even realizing it at the time, Kelly ended up inheriting this massive, loving, queer community and network of support that Heather had built throughout her life.
2: And who was in that community? How were they connected to Heather?
1: Well, they were actually mostly people that Heather had slept with.
2: Oh, my God. Can you imagine (laughs) talking to all of your exes' exes?
1: (laughs) I know, right? but it actually ends up turning out in a pretty unexpected way. I spoke to Kelly and one of her closest friends that she made throughout this experience. We met like every queer
3: meets at a conference, at a queer conference. And uh, I put on my name badge, I put my name and then it kinky poly switch looking for you. And so she walked up to me and said, oh, Kinky Polly Switch looking for you, I'm looking for you too. Within seven months of the relationship starting, she had a recurrence of ovarian cancer. And so within like eight months of our very first date, she was really, really ill. Uh, and she said, well, you know, if you want to have a relationship, you should probably move out here and probably sooner rather than later, because this isn't a good time to do long distance. So actually, she was living in San Francisco, but she and I moved to Portland where it's um, slightly better pace to be poor and sick and queer.
1: It sounds like from her introduction, Heather was quite the dom she sounds like she knew what she liked <laughs> she
3: yeah she wasn't playing yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> what was she like
3: she was the boss uh, whether people wanted that or not she started a plus-sized burlesque troupe, which at its time was the only one of its type in the country that was done not as a joke but as like serious burlesque she was the kind of person that was not afraid to ask you for things like most people if you said like oh i'm gonna move to be with you for a long-distance relationship, they might say, like, oh, yeah, okay, so move out here. But instead she, like, suggested moving to a third city um, where neither one of us were from, which is kind of a big ask. And uh, it was kind of beautiful that she she was okay with me doing it, you know. Um, I had a lot to give at that point, and she was willing was willing to have it.
1: It sounds like she knew what she wanted and also knew that you two had limited time.
3: Yeah, it ended up being kind of very intense very quickly, you know third date, then the person's like, oh, I have to go back on chemo. And after a year together, uh, then she passed away in February 2007.
1: When Heather died, she left you something pretty unconventional that kind of encapsulated her personality as you've described it. What was that?
3: It was just a couple of pages front and back from a composition notebook. Uh, It was just folded once. and just had my name on the outside. And How I deciphered what list it was is because it had my name and the date that we first had sex.
1: Oh, wow.
3: It was a list of people that she'd had sex with.
1: And how did you interpret at the time why she would have left that for you?
3: Well, when she first died, I didn't have any idea. I thought, well, okay, is this like a a posthumous brag or something? Now I've started talking a little bit more about the list. But at the time, I didn't know whether I was like, should I send out a fax saying, you know, should I send out an email saying, hey, everybody, I have the list. So like, there's no rules about that. Right. Like, that's not something I could ask my mom. So, mom, when your husband died did, and he left a list of everyone who had sex, you know. Right. <laughs> that's not how it works.
1: Do you have any specifically memorable moments of having met actual people from the list or just kind of encountered them in the wild?
3: Um, At the Butch Voices Conference, somebody came up to me and was, tried to approach me and then, like, backed away and then tried to approach me again, uh, somebody on the list, and was just kind of awkward for no reason. And, of course, I knew the reason, right? Like, this is somebody who maybe had a feeling about, like, oh, can I talk about Heather or whatever. And then another time when I was performing in Baltimore at the Charm City Kitty Club. This is the thing that's been going on for 15 years. Somebody came up to me and said, oh, I knew Heather, I met her at a Creating Change and we had this amazing experience and she was on the list. And so um, I knew what she meant by amazing experience.
1: It sounds like Heather touched an exceptional number of people throughout her lifetime. Do you feel like the list helped you clarify what some of those relationships were?
3: She had five different funerals in five different cities, and most of them were coordinated by people she had dated at one time or another. So as we started organizing things, that's when the list became, oh, okay, so I have context for this person, what they mean. It's not like every person that she had sex with was a long-term connection because of the kind of person she was and because often for masculine people, she was maybe the first person who had really seen them. I think it was a very intense moment for many, many people.
1: There were just so many people who knew her and were immediately missing her. How many people would you say did you end up kind of meeting from this list and becoming close with?
3: Uh, As far as meeting, I think I started checking them off. I think it's like 73 um, that I've met. There's many more than that on the list. It really reinforced if there was like a kinky, chubby, uh, masculine of center person in the United States. I felt like pretty much she covered them, you know. (laughs) And then there's a number that I'm close with that I still um, maybe I don't see them every day or they don't live in the city, but I still have connections with them. And when I travel, I see them and, you know, we text back and forth or, you know, sometimes on like the anniversary of Heather's death, we um, talk, that kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Once you actually started meeting all these people from the list, how did that change your understanding of why Heather left it for you? Like, what do you think that her intention was now looking back?
3: It's hard to say what her intention was. And I don't think I still know whether she foresaw All of us getting together in this, like, kind of train of emotion across the country? I don't know, because I didn't—it wasn't what I was expecting either. But my guess is that in addition to whatever kind of notches on the headboard kind of um, celebrating a bit her uh, sexual prowess, there was also a bit of care for me in it, that this list would be ultimately useful for me in some way.
1: That's what it kind of sounds like to me, like she was leaving behind this network for you just in case you needed it. Heather left me this
3: amazing community, people who loved Heather and grieved her and missed her and also often had the capacity to reach out and make sure that I was okay. It's been kind of like this lifeline of sorts going both ways of having these deep, emotional, often grief-filled conversations with other masculine people. As a person was assigned female at birth, but I have a masculine identity, I have often felt pressure to be less emotionally demonstrative. There was like a special kind of permission because we were all sharing it. It was one of those things where I would often say, like, I'm crying, you can cry, you know? And so there was, like, this brotherhood, I don't know, bristerhood, this combination of brother and sisterhood, like of uh, masculine folks who have I've had these conversations with where they tell me about something about how Heather saw them or something about what Heather told them or something Heather threatened them if they didn't go get a pap exam, you know, that kind of thing. So it's made for... All these intense masculine of center friendships that I did never have before. Because we had this kind of thread in common, and in trying to take care of each other, we grew connected. Um, and some of them were on the capital L list uh, that I've been talking about. Others were on what we call the love troopers, which was folks who were involved in caregiving for Heather. One of the people on the Love Troopers list was Fola.
2: So my name is Fola Demopoulos and I am currently living in Nashville, Tennessee. I've lived as far east as New Jersey, as far west as Hawaii, and as far north as Michigan. And I am queer and transmasculine. And I also identify pretty strongly as a comic book lover and a superhero admirer. How did you know Heather? So Heather and I met through a mutual friend while I was in grad school at the University of Michigan. And then I think Heather and I, we just continued to be in the same spaces, whether they were kink spaces or queer spaces or some combination thereof, or activist spaces. So I think that's how we first got to know each other.
1: And can you describe your relationship a little bit?
2: I would describe Heather and I as friends, and she also intimidated me just a little bit. And she was somebody that I felt like we were comrades in arms in some ways around the social justice work we were doing in different places in Michigan and elsewhere.
1: Could you share with me one of your favorite memories of Heather?
2: So one of my favorite memories of Heather is going to a play party and surprising her. We were at a conference and... I was invited to go and she became very surprised that I had never been to a play party and, and having some conversation also with Heather around what kink meant and what it meant to be part of kink community and, and what it also meant for me to be going into that kind of a space for the first time. It was a queer kink space and I couldn't have imagined being in any other circumstance where, where somebody else would have been introducing me to that space.
1: It sounds like she was kind of this amazing person that would push people out of their comfort zones, but in a way that felt really safe and supported and exciting. She spoke her mind and challenged people sometimes
2: to lean in and sometimes to expand and and also did so from a place of care. So at what point did you
1: start hearing about Kelly?
2: Heather first talked about Kelly, at least to me, around being her boy and often when she talked about Kelly she would laugh with her eyes and also out loud and, and just I hadn't seen Heather in that way with, with other folks not as a pedestal but just simply as a, as a person who had great impact on her life.
3: The first time I met Fala in person was probably a little bit after, three years after Heather died. And I was going to perform at the university where Fala was the director of the LGBT Center. And they picked me up at the airport and one of my friends was like, oh, aren't you gonna look at a picture first? And I was like, I can find one of Heather's people. That is not gonna be a problem. And it was no problem. I could definitely pick them out of a crowd.
2: I was nervous because I wasn't sure how we were gonna interact since we had never met. And also, I was excited because I had heard so many stories.
3: I'm like 97.25% sure that I started crying that first day at lunch. hmm Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've taken many other comics out to lunch other way to perform, <laughs> and hopefully they aren't all sobbing. Uh, <laughs> but the way you handled it and also the i know the love that you had for heather and the love that she had for you made me feel like okay this is this is us sharing
2: it was about connecting and and creating space for for each other because there was so much at least for me i think that there was so much that couldn't quite be contained by vowels and consonants
1: it sounds like you immediately kind of clicked do you feel like even though you hadn't met in person before you also kind of shared a history because of heather
2: i i was fairly certain that i could bring my whole self and also there were pieces of masculinity it was about recognizing pieces of of what i thought was part of our both of our stories and not having to catch one another up kind of like when when i'm in queer spaces and I don't have to rehash what it means to have a coming-out story. Even though our stories are different, there are
3: pieces of that that... There are some blanks that already get filled in. You know, we got to start halfway through the race, you know.
2: So it wasn't only about Heather sort of vetting us, but it was also about how Heather talked about Kelly as a person. Uh, and that was part of my excitement in meeting in meeting you. I'm not sure if you knew that, but...
3: No, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It felt like... Um you were able to access your emotions and then that helped me be safe with expressing mine
2: Hmm. I didn't know that I remember leaving the conversation feeling so grateful and that there were those spaces that we created for each other to be that vulnerable like I remember thinking that we'd been so vulnerable and that I also was very clear that that didn't that wasn't a normal of my life. And, and I wasn't sure that it was a normal part of your life. And I just remember feeling so grateful.
3: I'm thinking of this. It was probably in the last six years of Heather's life she woke me up from a sound sleep i was completely fast asleep and she was completely dressed and she said put your clothes on and go up to the couch i want to talk to you and i thought like what is she breaking up with me like what this is so strange and uh what she said was she's like okay so you have to promise me something i was like okay and she said promise me that when i'm gone that whoever offers you help you'll take it And I said yes, because that's what you do if a dying person asks you to promise them something. And after she died, I just felt so torn apart by sorrow. And the promise that I made to her that, yes, I'll let people help me, I'll let people support me, was part of what let me let people in. And that that's part of the building process, is being open to help and mutual aid in a form that maybe you wouldn't recognize.
1: Queerly Beloved is a production of Vice Media and Broadly. If you're liking the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen. And please leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. This podcast was produced by Sophie Casis. Production assistance was by Dan Richards. And our theme music is by Tyler McCulley. But before you go, we want to share one last thing with you. We reached out to our Broadly readers for your stories about Chosen Family and queer icons. And we got some really amazing responses. If you want to leave us your story about Chosen Family, call our inbox at 707-412-8388. And your voicemail could be featured on Queerly Beloved. Thanks so much for listening.
4: He always was more confident than me. I think that's why I fell in love with him and fell in love with how he treated me. When I first came out as trans, it was really hard because no one around me knew what that was. I I live in a small town. And when I met him, he changed everything for me. He made me feel confident in my identity because he was confident in his identity. And I remember how close we were long nights with conversations about how our identities were so hard to live with in our different cities. We both lived in the South, and it while not everyone in the South is discriminatory against trans or general LGBT plus people, it is quite common. So speaking to him about how I felt and how alone I felt and him supporting me and being one of the first people to tell me that I am valid in my identity, made me feel worth love and worth being accepted. We never dated, we'd split ways sometimes, kind of just grew distance, but I still sometimes open the chat I had with him and read the messages again.